So Lord, we pray that you would uh, meet us now, that you would open your word and Lord, speak to our hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do that thing that you do, which is to bring revelation, revelation about ourselves, revelation about you, revelation about the truths that you call us to step into, revelation about the journey that often accompanies that of joy, but also suffering. And give us courage, Father, uh, courage to not be afraid, even though the path that you call us on sometimes can be terrifying. So, Lord, uh, we pray you prepare us now and prepare us with an eagerness that believes that you are here and present. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. And if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to Ezekiel chapter 37. Kid Town is open. You know, we just sang a song uh, that used the word Ebenezer in it, and I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with that term, but the whole idea of an Ebenezer is actually uh, from the Old Testament, which when God would do something incredible, they would set an Ebenezer, which was a stone, and it was the stone of help, or the stone of God's provision, or a monument of God's grace in something that he did at a specific time in a specific place so that when they came back to that, they would go, ah, Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, just seeing if you guys are listening, all right? Now, Ebenezer, remember what the Lord did. And one of the things our team has been praying in us moving into this building in the temporary stay that we will be here at West End, that this would be an Ebenezer. That when we look back on this season of our lives as a community and also you as an individual, that you'll be able to see this building from West End where you can't, but figuratively, if you could see it from West End, then you would say, Ebenezer, that's where the Lord did. And you would remember what he did in your life this summer. Um, And I hope that you're open to that. And as a community, we can look back and go, oh man, you remember. So, So that was specifically why we sang that song. And this right here is some unique artwork, isn't it? It is an interpretation of Ezekiel's passage in chapter 37 in his Valley of Bones. And I was thinking about uh, this week and last week, uh, you know, moving into this building and how would you guys react to cushions on your chairs? And is anyone in here resenting that? Thank you. Yes. A couple of you have back problems and can't handle the cushions, can you? I understand. All right. Okay, y'all are going to have to lighten up a little bit because sound doesn't carry in here. Guys, we're still Midtown, all right? We're still this weird, messy community that's trying to figure out what it means to live life together. So let's stay that community while we're in here. So don't get uptight on me, all right? I may have to start preaching in shorts and in muscle shirts. I could say more, but it would be inappropriate because I'm a preacher. So I was thinking, Lord, what would you have for us? What are the principles of transition? And let me go a little bit further. What are the gospel principles for tragedy? When when your feet get knocked out from under you, when things go directly opposite of what you'd hope they would do, that you come in here and we're like, well, what, what is God doing? Like, you know... Why, why aren't we in our own space? Why, why do we keep moving around? This is weird. Like when God is in us in transition or the tragedy of the flood, and I know that many of you lost uh, your basements, lost cars, you lost furniture, 
Some of you lost stuff that you were so thankful that God washed it out of your basement and blew it into your neighbor's yard and then you didn't claim it. Well, I've never seen that, uh, that couch before. You know, but what do we do? And so I thought, what passage of scripture uh, has a lot to do with transition and uh, tragedy? So I went to the mother load. All right, none of this playing around. We, we're going straight to the mother load of all hopeless situations. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And let me stop you there just for a minute because let me tell you what's happened with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord which all through the Old Testament, the Lord would use specific people as prophets to communicate to his people. So he'd give them visions and he would give them words. Now what had happened was his people, Israel, remember he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Israel had been invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now you may or may not be familiar with this guy, but he's the guy that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Remember that felt board story in Sunday school? All right. That he, he came in, and, it, and it's hard to explain, but imagine yourself living in a community where an invading army comes in. And they're not coming in to knock on the door and say, hey, can we have some coffee? They're coming in with swords drawn, and they are killing your family. They are taking over your land. Everything that you had sweat for to build on your farm is now on fire. And all the best of everything in your country is being wrapped up, chained up, tied up, and dragged to another country. And what's left behind is nothing. Nothing. No food, no animals, no friends. Your world as you knew it is destroyed. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did to Israel. On top of that, Ezekiel... As a prophet of the Lord, his wife, about three chapters back, dies. So you want to talk about your feet being knocked out from under you? You want to talk about life as you know it being over with? That's what's happening. So the Lord brought Ezekiel into the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. Imagine this. The Lord now is saying... Walk among them, Ezekiel. I want you to walk all around this valley. And he's crunching on the bones. Because the bones are on the floor of the valley. And the bones were very dry. Meaning they had been there a long time. The sun had baked them clean. There was nothing on them. And he asked me, and listen to this question. This is the question the Lord asked Ezekiel. Son of man. Interesting way to start, isn't it? I'll let you do your interpretation. Can these bones live? Now, Let me stop because if I brought a skeleton up here from Vanderbilt Medical Center, all right, that was a real skeleton held together with wires, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I ask you, do you believe that this skeleton can live? There's not a person in this room would say, yeah, you know, about two weeks ago, you know, I was at my parents' house and they had this skeleton in their living room and it came to life. No, come on. Because none of us have any kind of history or any kind of story of history and we don't know anybody that has history that would even remotely say that we can make a skeleton live. Skeletons do not live. Why? They're dead. That's a simple answer. But they're deader than dead, aren't they? There's nothing in them that even resembles life. Listen to what Ezekiel says to him. No. 
That's not what he says. Just see if you guys are following along. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now let's stop for a minute because the first principle of gospel transition or tragedy is first is to know. Okay? Number one. To know what? What is it that the Lord wants us to know? Now it's amazing. Ezekiel understood that when the Lord asks a question, when the Lord is saying, can these bones live? It's not the same as me saying to you, can these bones live? Ezekiel is understanding that the Lord is limitless in his possibilities. And the Lord knows that he's limitless in his possibilities. So in his limitlessness and Ezekiel's understanding that God is limitless in his possibility, Ezekiel did not count out the possibility that these bones could possibly live. So he didn't say no, and he didn't say yes. He just knew, God, you can really do whatever you want to do. But what you're going to do, I don't know. And you know what's remarkable is the first thing that we need to know is that God is limitless in his possibilities. He's limitless. And when he's limitless and he is Lord, that changes everything. Think about Joseph. Maybe you've heard this story where Joseph was in a family with a bunch of brothers and he was having dreams and he really liked fancy clothes and, you know, and his brothers got fed up with him and they, uh, they grabbed him and they threw him in a pit. And when this uh, band of travelers came by, they sold their brother into slavery. Now Joseph, all he did was dress up. That was it. The brothers threw him into slavery. They went home and told his dad he got attacked by wild animals. He's dead. So Joseph did nothing to deserve this, goes into slavery, and then he tries to be faithful to the Lord, and he gets into the home of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife, she begins to, uh, to come on to Joseph, and Joseph refuses her, and she screams rape. And he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. Spends years in prison for something he never did. And then there were men in there saying, man, we're going to get you out, we're going to get you out, and they never got him out. Finally, the Lord got him out. And there was, you got to go read the story because when his brothers finally came before him, what did he say to his brothers? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. I mean, this is remarkable to think that any situation that I'm stepping into, the Lord is good and limitless in his possibilities. That no matter what happens to me or what you do to me, you may mean it for evil or this situation, this flood may be some mindless movement of the world and what that meant for evil, God intended for good. That's a hard thing to believe, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It's easy to believe when you're on high ground. High ground. When the flood's not touching you, man, the Lord is good. But when you lose it all or when everything gets swept out from under you and your feet are knocked out from under you, it's really hard to believe that. Can we just be honest about that? I call it the, uh, the transitional refrigerator syndrome. What I mean is, have you ever moved your refrigerator when you're moving? Like we, you got to take the refrigerator with you and you move the refrigerator and you go, good Lord, what's that underneath our refrigerator? Put it back. Is that thing alive? What is that? That's a biscuit, you know? 
Because when we move things, things start getting exposed. When we start moving things around, certain things start coming to the surface. Or when the flood comes and we lose stuff that we cherished, or it, this isn't what I planned, certain stuff starts coming to the surface that wasn't in the surface before. Things like fear, things like irritation. This really ticks me off that this happened. Things like weariness, things like a lack of faith. Doubts that you thought you had dealt with a long time ago now are resurfacing. All under the fridge. But here's what I want you to know. That the Lord is good. Let me remind you. If you've ever read the story of the 5,000 that Jesus fed, where the kid with a few bread, a few loaves of bread and some fishes, Jesus broke it and he fed the 5,000. What was going on before Jesus fed the 5,000? that these people talked about for the rest of their lives and we're still talking about today. There's a bunch of hungry people complaining. They were complaining. And they'd come to the disciples and said, what are you guys going to do about it? And the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, you better let all these people go. This is getting out of control. It's chaos. This isn't what we bargained for, Jesus. What are you going to do? Send them home. What did Jesus do? Jesus knew something. The Lord is good. He says, prepare yourself. The crisis is an invitation for the miracle. What about the disciples in the boat when the storm came up and Jesus was asleep in the boat and they're freaking out because they think we're going to die. And they go wake up Jesus and they say, Jesus, you better do something because we're about to die. Well, Jesus stood up and said, you men of little faith. Interesting. We could study that another time. They had just enough faith to wake up Jesus. And Jesus stood up and he calmed the seas and they were more afraid after Jesus calmed the seas than when they thought they were gonna die by the seas. But it was the storm, it was the storm that everybody thought was gonna kill them that exposed the moment of the Lord revealing that he was more than they ever dreamed that they, that they thought he was. Because they saw him calm. He, he spoke to the wind and the waves. And what did the disciples say? Good Lord, who is this man? Well, they didn't say good Lord. That came like 100 years later. People started saying that. But you get what I'm saying? Or what about Lazarus? What did he have to go through before he experienced the miracle of Jesus saying, come forth? He had to die. I mean, that's pretty tragic, you know? You can't go much deeper than that. But it's all throughout the scripture that God is not caught off guard when bad things happen or we're in the middle of a transition. God is not, you know, oh, what, oh, wait, wait, angels, didn't anybody see this coming? Does anybody have a spell that we can cast that will feed 5,000? You know, God's not a magician. God is sovereign. In fact, in this passage, listen to what he says. I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the words of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Watch what I'm going to do. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So this is what Ezekiel did. He said, I prophesied as I was commanded to do. 
Like, I don't know if any of us would say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Ezekiel, okay, you got it. I'm going to prophesy. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. The second principle that, uh, that I want us to get to is, uh, is to listen. And l- let me go back up here just for a second. Because uh, have you ever been in a situation where, uh, is that better? Have you ever been in a situation where this has happened and you know that you should know that the Lord is good? And you should say, well, just praise the Lord as you see your car floating down Highway 24. Praise God. He's sovereign. Yeah, my computer's in that car. Praise the Lord. My whole business is on that computer. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to just put on a fake smile and pretend to be this good Christian. What is a good Christian? (laughs) I'm not sure I know what that means, by the way. And I certainly don't believe that God wants me to pretend to be something that I'm not. To where I just fake this whole, uh, yeah, God, good, raise the dead, all right. And that's where the listening comes in. Because what are we listening for in this passage? What was it Ezekiel heard? He said, I started to hear the bones rattle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was standing in a valley of bones and all of a sudden I started to hear the bones starting to rattle as they are coming together, I'm going to start looking around for Jason and the Argonauts. You know, have you seen that scene in the old movie where the skeleton, oh God, you guys, come on. Some of you need to watch more movies. But the, the skeletons are starting to come together. The rattling of the bones everywhere. Can you imagine? I mean, that would be horrific. It'd be terrifying to be standing in that valley and the bones are coming together. So what does that mean for us to listen to rattling bones? Okay, track with me. Listen to yourself. Listen. Listen to the grumbling. Listen to the complaining. Listen to to the groaning as our feet are getting knocked out from us. Listen to the things that start coming to the surface. Did any of you find weird things floating in your basement? Listen to what's floating up in your own life when you move the refrigerator. What is there? Look at it. Listen to it. You know, one of the things that happens to me when when hard things happen is it's a weird kind of thing. We've talked about it some here before, but the voices from my past come into my present. Like when my feet get knocked out from under me uh, or something happens and I should have known better or I should have planned better or I should have had that insurance thing paid up, I start hearing things. For example, I remember the day I graduated from college. And it was the first time my parents had been in the town where I was going to college, which was 100 miles from my hometown. And I remember my parents looking at me and saying, wow, you are the very last person we ever expected to get a degree. Imagine that. Now, 
that was not celebratory. If any of you <laughs> don't interpret, this wasn't like, hey, all right, you know, you've turned the ship around. This was more of, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know how you got this, but we'll see. But there are all kinds of messages that come floating back in with the water when disaster happens. All kinds of messages. Like, I don't know what yours are. Maybe your message is, you're really stupid. You're a failure. You can't do this. You can't follow your dream. You don't measure up. You always mess it up. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares. What's your message? And what I want to encourage you to do, because some of us spend so much energy turning down the volume on those messages, that we spend years trying to turn that volume down, I want to encourage you tonight to turn it up. Turn it up. I want you to go in the basement and I want you to pick up everything that's floating down there and look at it because those are the bones that are rattling together. Because when the Lord is moving and he is stirring the water, there is stuff that's going to float to the surface that we should take the time to look at. And <laughs> you say, wow, that's so depressing. You know, here we are in a new facility, you know, in our first night, and we're talking about stuff that just makes us depressing. But I want to encourage you that it's possible to be hopeless and live with those messages and learn to live with them and it become poison for your soul. That we turn them down to a volume that we can stand. And we say to these, these voices from the past and the stuff that I've struggled with all my life and the stuff that floats to the surface, my own anger, my own irritation, maybe even that sin that doesn't seem to want to get away. And we, we turn it down and we say, if you'll just stay low enough, if you'll just stay soft enough, I won't mess with you. Just don't scream. And I'm saying to you, man, kick the volume off that thing and turn it all the way up and listen to what you're saying. Listen to what's going on. Listen to the bones that are rattling in your own soul tonight. What are those bones saying? Maybe they're saying to you that God can never bring to life a dead marriage. God can never rescue us from our addictions. God can never set me free from sin. There's no way God would ever let me dream. Not because of the things that I did in my past. I want you to stop and listen to him. Because the greatest tragedy is making friends with hopelessness and then calling it normal life. It's remarkable in Isaiah 57 and verse 10. Listen to what this prophet is saying to his people. You are wearied by all your ways, but you would not say it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. Instead of coming to the end of your road and listening to the bones that are rattling together and saying, man, those messages are way too ugly. Instead of coming to that place and fainting before the Lord, you said, no, <clears throat> Red Bull time. <clears throat> Let's get back on the track. And we can live with these demons. But it's a scary thing to listen, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, seriously. Are y'all tracking where I'm going? That's a hard thing to do. You know, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about grieving. 
And the first thing he says is, hey, don't be a people that don't grieve. That we should feel the pain of what's happened this week for our friends, for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our community. We should feel that. We should feel it deeply. So Paul doesn't say, hey, put on a happy face, you know. Cheer up. What's that song? He doesn't say that. He says, feel deeply the things that are going about you. But he says, don't let what you feel become the dictator of what is true. He says, in your grief, he says, I want you to pour something in it and mix it together. And what is it that he wants us to mix together with it? Hope. That we don't grieve like those without hope. We grieve as those with hope that's being poured in. So I know that he is the Lord. I listen to my own heart and to the bones that are rattling in there. And then this is where it gets fun. Preach. We all get to become preachers tonight. Listen to this. Let's go back to uh, Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, a vast army. We are to speak the gospel into the bones that are rattling in our own souls. That we have the privilege, but we also have the ability to preach the gospel into those places that are rattling, into those fears, into those discouragements, into your marriage, into your relationships, into the flood. We get to preach. In 1 John, listen to what the apostle said. He said, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. How great is it? It is great. Paul puts it this way. He says, you know, he, he challenges us to grasp how wide and deep and long and what, which one am I missing? Why, did I say wide? Come on, we can do it as a community. Wide, deep. High, there you go, all right. High, he said, if we can grasp the massiveness of this love the Lord has for us, it would fill us up to the very fullness of God. And then here's the next sentence, that we should be called children of God, that we're his kids. And he says next, that is what we are. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Here is the amazing principle. Hear this loud. Why did God allow a flood to happen in Nashville? Why did God allow certain things to happen? You know, about 12 years ago, uh, some of you were there. We had a Sunday school down in Brentwood, and um, it was a lot of fun. God was bringing in all kinds of crazy people, and God was just doing some great stuff. And one of the things that happened was a guy came in who had just come to know the Lord, and through some of the people in the class that had led him to the Lord, and he was a bridge painter. And uh, he was young in his early 20s, and he was just ripped, you know? Like, he just looked kind of like me, you know, just, just <laughs> muscles everywhere. I know, it's impressive. And uh, Danny was, <clears throat> he was on fire for the Lord because the Lord had, real, had just rescued him. The bones were so loud in Danny's life that when the gospel came in and the Lord said, man, I love you, Danny. And you're one of my children now, and I'm going to redeem you. I've forgiven your sins, and I've set you free, and I've put your feet on a solid rock. Danny believed it, and he put his life on it. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks later, he came into the class. Now, imagine this is, you know, a bunch of people in suits in Brentwood, very formal <clears throat> kind of service. And he comes up to me right before it starts and takes his shirt off. 
Now, if I would do that, it would be frightening. Uh, I know. But when Danny did that, it, our attendance grew. It was weird. <laughs> Mostly women. And uh, he was, I mean, he was just cut. And he turned around and he had tattooed Jesus on his back. No kidding. Like, he had to hold his arms up like this because Jesus' hands were here. And it was a crucified Jesus. I mean, just tattooed from the top of his neck down to the middle of his rippling muscles back. He had a six-pack in his back. <laughs> Danny said to me, man, he goes, Christ is always with me. And when I embrace everybody, they're being embraced by Christ. You know what? Theologically, that's true, isn't it? Isn't that profound? Christ in him, the hope of glory, he understood that as a new believer. And he said, wherever I go, Christ goes with me. The crucified Christ that has covered me and now allows me to embrace other people. And when I do that, guess what? Jesus is embracing them. Well, they quit searching for Danny a couple of days ago. He's a victim of a flood. They, he's, he's gone. So, do we grieve? Yeah, but do we grieve without hope? No. His time was here. He lived it. The Lord said, it's time to go. Why did the Lord allow that to happen? I cannot tell you. I do not know. I can tell you what the answer is not, though. He didn't allow it to happen because he's not a good father. He is a good father. He didn't allow it to happen because he's not sovereign and controlling all things. That's not true. He is sovereign and controls all things. He didn't allow it to happen because he doesn't care because he does. Why does he allow the things in your life to happen? I can't tell you, but I can tell you what the answer is not. When you hear the bones rattling, you get to preach the gospel of what it's not right into the middle of those bones. See, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We speak and preach the gospel to these bones because we are those that have been redeemed. And we have the power not to be controlled by our bones anymore, but being controlled by the spirit that has breathed within us and made us alive. Hey, all right. I'm almost through. But I thought you might enjoy this story. This is uh, from a uh, book on prayer that John Smead and his friends put together up in Vancouver. And they tell the story of Stan and Lori who adopted a little boy, Nicholas, from a Russian orphanage. It says Stan and Lori went to Russia one last time to finish the adoption procedures. They had to sign the papers, pay all the fees, and then they could finally take him home. At this point, Stan steps into the room and sees Nicholas in the orphan environment. He is covered in scabies, which is a, it's a red rash caused by small parasites. He has blisters on the bottom of his feet, on his palm of his hands, and all over the inside of his mouth. It's called the hand, foot, and mouth disease, and it's common in unsanitary conditions like this orphanage. He reeks. The orphanage doesn't have money for diapers, so often he's left in his own filth. 
With his voice breaking, Stan tells me, I could see him. I looked at him in all his distress. I just want, get this, I just wanted to hold him. I wanted to comfort and heal him. But more than anything else, I wanted Nicholas to know just how much Lori and I loved him. See, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of God's adoption of us. He sees us in the orphanage of this world. And with a breaking heart, he notices the scabbies of our own discontent, the blisters of our own unhappiness, and even the stench of the sin that we stay in way too long. Isn't it true? But what does he do? He doesn't reject, and he doesn't despise, and he doesn't judge us as we might be afraid he would do. No, it's just the opposite. He embraces us. He heals us. He cleans us and forgives us in his grace. And now he speaks tender words to us. And get this, he allows us to call him daddy. Father, we get to preach that message. Is that true, Midtown? Is that really true? If that's true, then we get to speak that into here. And where do we get the words to speak it? We get them here. Timothy said this. In 2 Timothy, this is Paul to Timothy, not Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16, every part of Scripture is God-breathed. It is the breath of God. And it's useful one way or another. It shows us truth. It exposes our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes. It trains us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So here's my final point, and then I'm through. Because <laughs> this is my prayer for us this summer, the Ebenezer. Because I, I want us to go on a journey to explore something. What does it mean to be captivated by what I just said? What does it mean for our lives to be defined by that? What does that mean for that to be the most important thing in my life? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be so in love with the Lord and be so captivated by his love for us that it defines my very existence? What does that mean? Hmm. We'll discover that this summer. We'll dive in. But here's one thing it means. He said... And the bones stood up. Flesh had been put on them. The breath of God from the four winds had gone in them and made them alive. And they stood like a vast army. That's kind of cool. A vast army. We say it often here. If you come to church, guess what? It's going to be over in about 15 minutes. But if we are the church... What does that mean for the rest of the week? What does that mean? That the very breath of God has been breathed inside of you. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, that not only do you want us to know that you are Lord and that you work in the valley of the bones, It's remarkable, Father, 
that you are the one that steps into the valley of the bones and you breathe. I thank you, Father, that not only do you allow us to listen, but you encourage us to listen to the things that are floating up in our basements. The fears, the irritations, the disappointments, the struggles, the voices from our past, that you want us to turn up the volume so we can hear them clearly, so that third, we can place the gospel, preach the gospel to those voices, take them captive and be set free. And I thank you, Father, that in doing so, you are raising us up as an army, a real army of hope, an army of light in this community, an army that stands together to love each other and to love this city. Lead us in that, we pray, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.